Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, welcome to the podcast. In this session, we will cover part two of maternal alloimmunization according to the March 2018 ACOG current update. Recent advances in Doppler technology have led to the development of non-invasive methods to assess the degree of fetal anemia. Studies have also reported a good correlation between the peak systolic velocity in the fetal middle cerebral artery and hemoglobin in fetuses that have undergone two previous transfusions, expanding the clinical use of this Doppler test. However, there are some limitations of this technology. Multiple studies have suggested that there's a higher false positive rate after 34 to 35 weeks of gestation. In addition, as with any new technology, the measurements must be done by a practitioner specifically trained to perform Doppler for measurement of peak systolic velocity in the fetal middle cerebral artery in a center with trained personnel and when the fetus is at an appropriate gestational age, middle cerebral artery Doppler measurements seem to be an appropriate non-invasive means to monitor pregnancies complicated by red cell alloimmunization. Additionally, amniotic fluid bilirubin measurements may be misleading in cases of Kell alloimmunization, but Doppler measurements do appear to be accurate in predicting severe fetal anemia. Delivery of the infant of an alloimmunized patient is a controversial subject, and literature on the subject is limited. Standard treatment is to prolong the pregnancy until the fetus reaches a gestational age necessary for survival. If the history and antenatal studies indicate only mild fetal hemolysis, it's reasonable to proceed with delivery by induction of labor at 37 to 38 weeks. Induction may be considered earlier if fetal pulmonary maturity is documented by amniocentesis, with severely sensitized pregnancies requiring multiple invasive procedures. The risks of continued cord blood sampling and transfusion must be considered and compared with those neonatal risks associated with prematurity, given that the overall neonatal survival rate after 32 weeks in most neonatal intensive care nurseries is greater than 95%, it's prudent to time procedures so that the last transfusion is performed at 30 to 32 weeks of gestation with delivery at 32 to 34 weeks of gestation after maternal steroid administration to enhance fetal pulmonary maturity. In other cases, several authors recommend intrauterine transfusion up to 36 weeks of pregnancy when intravascular transfusion is feasible in order to limit neonatal morbidity. Delivery can then be accomplished between 37 and 38 weeks. 
Okay, as we wrap up this podcast, we have to say a few final words about kale alloimmunization. Remember that kale alloimmunization appears to be less predictable and often results in more severe fetal anemia than alloimmunization due to other erythrocyte antigens. Okay, so here's a clinical pearl once again. Remember that with Kell alloimmunization, maternal serum antibody levels and delta OD450 of the amniotic fluid is not as sensitive to predict fetal anemia as it is for RH alloimmunization. Okay, now as we wrap up this podcast, no discussion of alloimmunization will be complete without a brief discussion of ROGAM. ROGAM is anti-D immune globulin. Anti-D immune globulin is extracted by cold alcohol fractionation from plasma donated by individuals with high titer anti-D immune globulin G antibodies. This original work was in the 1960s and it noted maternal sensitization to fetal Rh positive blood and noted that administration of anti-D could prevent the immune response in the mother. The current practice of administering a single antenatal dose of 300 micrograms of anti-D immunoglobulin at 28 weeks of gestation, followed by a second dose after birth when the newborn was known to be Rh positive, dates back from to a recommendation in 1977. One full ampule of Rogam, which is 300 micrograms, can protect against 30 mLs of fetal blood or 15 mLs of fetal red blood blood cells. The current recommendation is to repeat RHD antibody testing for all unsensitized RHD negative women at 24 to 28 weeks of gestation unless the biological father is known to be RHD negative. Consensus guidelines from around the world recommend that a routine antibody screen be obtained at 28 weeks before administration of anti-D immune globulin. The primary rationale for repeating the antibody screen is to identify women who will become alloimmunized before 28 weeks of gestation in order to manage their pregnancies properly. The cost-effectiveness of routinely repeating the antibody screen has been questioned though because of the low incidence of RHD alloimmunization occurring before 28 weeks. Regardless, routine antibody screening before anti-D immune globulin administration is still advised by the American College of OBGYN. Okay, well, how long does Rogam actually last in the maternal compartment? Well, the median half-life of anti-D immune globulin is 23 days in the third trimester. If delivery occurs within three weeks of the standard antenatal anti-D immune globulin administration, the postnatal dose may be withheld in the absence of excessive fetal to maternal hemorrhage. The same is true when anti-D immune globulin is given for antenatal procedures like external cephalic version or amniocentesis or for third trimester bleeding. An excessive number of fetal erythrocytes not covered by anti-D immune globulin administration can be assumed to have entered maternal blood if the results of the KB, that's Klee-Howard-Betke test, are positive and an appropriate dose of RH immune globulin can then be administered. 
Well, as we wrap up this podcast, there are some other questions we can consider. The first is, should all RH-negative women be screened for excessive fetal maternal hemorrhage after an uncomplicated delivery of an RHD-positive infant? Well, the answer is yes. The risk of excessive fetal maternal hemorrhage exceeding 30 mLs of RHD-positive fetal whole blood, remember, that's the amount covered by the standard 300 microgram dose of Rogam at the time of delivery is about 2 to 3 per thousand. Screening only pregnancies designated as high risk of excessive fetal maternal hemorrhage like abruption, placenta previa, or intrauterine manipulation can detect only 50% of patients who require additional anti-D immune globulin. For this reason, it's recommended that all RHD negative women giving birth to RHD-positive infants undergo additional testing initially with a qualitative screening test like the rosette assay and if indicated a quantitative test like the klehauer bedke test to determine the number of doses of RHD immune globulin that are required. All right, well, the second question is, should women who reach a pregnancy of 40 weeks or longer receive an additional dose of Rogam when their first was given at 28 weeks? Well, remember that anti-D immune globulin appears to persist for about 12 weeks in most patients. Remember, that's different than the half-life. The persistence is about 12 weeks in most patients based on pharmacokinetic studies. In the past, some authorities advised giving a second dose of Rogam to women who had not given birth 12 weeks after receiving their antenatal dose. However, the vast majority of women who give birth more than 12 weeks after receiving Rogam do not become alloimmunized. There is insufficient evidence at this time to make a recommendation for or against administering another dose of Rogam to RHD-negative women who remain undelivered at 40 weeks of gestation or greater. Current consensus guidelines either have no recommendation or state that a repeat antepartum dose of anti-D immune globulin is generally not required at 40 weeks of gestation provided that routine antenatal prophylaxis was given no earlier than 28 weeks of gestation. Lastly, our final question has to do with what to do with women whose blood type returns as a weak D antigen result. This is a variant of the traditional D antigen. Well, clinicians are advised to administer RHD immune globulin to patients with weak D blood type in appropriate clinical situations until further scientific data proves otherwise. Women with a weak D antigen result are traditionally thought to be at lower risk of spontaneous alloimmunization compared to the full D antigen being present. Okay, that wraps up our part two of our two-part series on maternal alloimmunization. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.